Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a quarantined edition of the Corner Store Podcast. Uh, I am privileged to be on a Zoom call with uh, two of the homies, uh, the big homie. And Jose is not like the little homie because he's a grown man at this point, but I've known him since he was a young, a younger dude. And so I feel like in a lot of ways right now, I have like a big brother and a little brother in the building. Uh, two of the editors of the uh, brand new and really important Latinx breakbeat poetry anthology and incredible authors and uh, men in their own right, Willie Perdomo and Jose Olivares. Welcome to the Corner Store, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Good to be here, man. Yeah, um, I really appreciate y'all taking some time, and and I want to ask just how is this affecting uh, you know the, the situation we find ourselves in now? How is this affecting the way you all think about your your craft? I mean, both you guys, I I love to read and think of as very productive and prolific writers and educators and organizers. How is this time right now, kind of you know fucking with or I don't know improving like your 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 workflow right now? Willie, you want to go? Um, I think um, the, the the one thing I'm starting to think about more is what does it mean to escape from one city to another, right? In the middle of a of a pandemic, in the middle of uh, what folks are calling impending doom, right? So, and uh, the connotations of that escape. What else are you escaping? In that moment, I think, uh, and when you get to that place, for me, coming back to New Hampshire from New York City, because I was on break when all this happened, what I'm starting to feel, think about is uh, my memory starting to kick in a lot more, right? So that um, even while I'm here working, you know, at my desk and I'm going through my notebooks and I'm going through my bin of, of notebooks, I'm trying to kind of go through the sludge and pick out what I can uh, to make work for the next project is that, again, I'm kind of digging into a, a past, you know, uh, in that moment. Um, you know, and w- what does it mean to to, to, to write in the middle of, um, of a global uh, event, a global moment, you, you know? Um, if, if you're going to choose to write in this moment to the moment, then it would be important to record everything. You just, you're recording this conversation, right? Like we're kind of holding, you know, witness to uh, things that are going on uh, right now. The other side of that is what, 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 what fucks with the writing is the people who are perishing, the people who are, you know, are disappearing from your life. Um, you know, you go to sleep one night, next morning, you know, someone, you know, and so how to how to kind of deal with that psychic space while you're trying to write and trying to teach at the same time yeah that's right yeah for me um i haven't been writing a whole lot um i mean i've kind of been i've been having a hard time i mean i've been writing but it's been difficult a lot more difficult since since my book citizen illegal came out um, in part, I think, because when I was working on that book for a long time, I had a vision of what I wanted that book to look like. And so I was working towards that. And I don't yet know exactly in terms of my own poems what I want to work towards. Um, the The situation that we find ourselves in, I think, has made some things clear for me that might, you know, help clarify that for me at some point. Um 
Like I've been thinking a lot. Like I was already thinking about class and I was thinking about uh, the types of work that we do and what it, you know, what, what kind of work is elevated and, and what kind of work is not. Um, and, you know, obviously we, we see like one of the new languages that has come into like our everyday use is the use of like this idea of essential worker versus non-essential worker. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, the question that the thing that I've been thinking about is like writing is not a neutral act. Uh, and so all writing for me at the end of the day either serves the empire or it is against empire. And so I want to kind of sit myself and think about how I can write things that are against empire. Yeah, no, that's real. Thank you. Thank you both. So you had you you both had, along with uh, your co-editor, Felicia Rose Chavez, had a book, uh, a really beautiful anthology that I'm so glad that the world now has access to. You had a book come out and coming out in in this pandemic uh, in 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 shelter. Uh, and so what has that experience been like thus far with um, birthing this really important anthology into the world in this time of, of crisis? Um, I don't know. Uh, it feels like, you know, that that's really been so low on my list of concerns right now, just because of how die, especially I'm in New York City right now. So the, you know, I hear the sirens almost all times of day. Um, I don't know, like, there's definitely some grief. Like I, I hit up my guy, Joseph Rios out in California. And he was like, damn, I really wanted to throw a party for that book. You know what I mean? And for me, like, I, I really was looking forward to just gathering all of these different poets uh, in a number of different places and getting to celebrate their work and getting to have conversations about like, both about like, where Latinx poetry, what our lineage is and what our future looks like. Uh, and I think, you know, I feel lucky because I think we're still going to get to have some of those conversations digitally. But, it, you know, it is definitely a little bit of a, of a bummer that we can't do it in person. Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, on the one hand, it's like, all right, another book came out in the world, right? Like in the middle of, 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 of the madness, right? But where would we be without those books in the middle of the madness, right? So that's something that you know, we need to take into consideration. I really feel for the, uh, the poets who just the first time for some of them that are, have been published, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, those, the celebrations that we had in store for most of national poetry month going into May, we're going to, to celebrate the established poets who were in it and the, and the emerging poets and the brand new poets who are coming in, you know? Um, but, Having said that, it, you know, it, it feels good to, to kind of see something that, you know, I, I, I forget how many years ago it was, probably three or four, where I landed in Chicago and Kev, you picked me up and we had brunch. You said, and you said I want to run something by you and uh, doing this anthology. Where you had Jose already in mind. We didn't know who the next co-editor was going to be, but that was almost three years ago. Probably. Four years. Yeah, probably. And to see it come to fruition to have that book for those books to land and say oh wow this this started as a conversation so many years ago 
and then Jose and me and, and, and Felicia and myself and we, you know, worked over a whole summer over the course of a year just, you know, with phone calls and going over submissions and thinking about approaches and thinking about covers. Like when you see that work come to fruition, there is a level of, of satisfaction that comes with it. Regardless if you can't, you know, throw the big celebrations for it, those will happen. Um, but then that begs the question, how are we to celebrate this book going forward? In fact, how are we to celebrate any books going forward, you know, uh, after this kind of settles down, if it's going to? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And Jose, you, you, you raised the, the issue of, or the idea of the conversation that this book is having. And Will, you mentioned that this is not only an intergenerational book, but that the book itself is publishing authors who have many publications under the belt and some authors who have never been published before. It's one of the things that I think is so incredible about this collection. What are, what are some of the conversations as people do begin to pick up the book uh, because it's still available and you know you all are doing book readings and releases and you know the the show must go on and as you said will like we you know so, in some ways there is um, this book is is sustenance for for folks right now too. What are some of the conversations as editors that you were hoping people might have uh, upon upon reading this this anthology? I mean, I would say one of the things that I, I that was worth discussing and worth approaching in terms of being an anthologist in this regard is. We have to be sure that there's just not one definition of what it means to be Latinx in the world. So Gil Scott Heron once, you know, said poets are around to define things. Uh, if that's the case, then, you know, how does this go? Where does this book go in terms of defining what it means to be Latinx in this world in this moment? Uh, especially with, you know, uh, being surrounded by um, these ultra fascist kind of you know immigrant laws that are coming through and in that kind of environment when you're getting babies locked up like what does it actually mean to be latinx in this world uh you take that experience with somebody who just suffered hurricane maria what does it mean to be uh in the diaspora uh at this point and if you look through the book a lot of the a lot of the um poems kind of address a lot of the discussions that we're having right now um, in terms of where we are in the world relative to our Latinidad. Yeah, I love that answer. You know, for me, I always go back to Willie's introduction of the book where Willie's talking about being in Chile, you know what I mean? And they're like freaking out because Willie's talking in Spanglish and reading poems that move back and forth between all these different languages and to this day I'll do a reading and one of the most common questions that I get is like you know like can you tell me about choosing to use Spanish in your poems and I would love for it to be like to me this book this book is kind of an answer to that question and the answer is that there's really nothing to explain because this is just this is what we do you know what I mean like it's not it's it's not really it's it's just what we do. It's what we've been doing, and it's what we're gonna keep doing. So uh, that's one of the things that I think about. I think a lot about like um, I'm really proud of the fact that that the book really I think does a good job of 
um, you know, to Will's point, kind of uh, breaking some of the, some of the conceptions about what Latinidad is, right? It's not just immigration. Um, it's also, uh, you know, it has all these different diasporas and it has, you know, there's a lot of different um, poems that consider gender identity and sexuality. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it kind of breaks down this idea that there's only one way to be Latinx. Yeah, certainly. And, and yeah, and if you look at like, uh, say, someone like Edwidge Danzica, like that first essay she writes in creating dangerously. One of the questions then becomes is, how do you create dangerously to folks who are reading dangerously right now in this moment, right? And I think it's important to kind of look at the book in that context because all the poets that are coming through in the book are coming from so like a very context in terms of what it means to be Latinx what it means to be queer, what it means to be trans, what it means to be black and Latinx, what it means to be young, what it means to be old, right? Like all of it is coming through and it's almost like a dialectic that's happening, but it's happening through poetry, right? How many, how many writers are in the book? And, and I, you know, I, I know uh, there's folks who are younger and older. You, like what's the, what's the age range in the book? Things like this. Do you know some of the demographics? I don't know off the top of my head. I know that it's there's 110 poets in the book. Wow. Uh, I think on the age scale that the youngest poet might be 17 or 18. Uh, I don't know about the oldest poet. Um, We're not looking at you, Will, by the way. Yeah, and I don't think the oldest poet would be called out anyway at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Because you always want to be a young poet in the world. Yeah, that's right. Listen, I still work at Young Chicago Authors. Look hey, at man. You know I mean? It's true. They got to change the name about, about time. <laughs> Something, something's got to happen for sure. You're like middle aged bards and shit, right? Yeah. Middle aged bards featuring Kevin Coleman. Love it. For real. Um, no, that's dope. Now, now, okay, so I know obviously, you know, y'all knew of one another prior to this process of putting together an anthology. But what is it like to work so closely? What was y'all's workflow like? What have you all learned even about one another in terms of, you know, not only people, but I guess as writers, as um, people who have, you know, very defined aesthetic preferences in the world? What are some of the things that y'all have learned about one another? And I also know, obviously, Felicia Rose Chavez can't be a part of the conversation tonight, but always salutes to her and and her family. No doubt. No doubt. Um. For me, I think it was, for Jose, it was his level of um, compassion uh, and how wide it was, right, in terms of, you know, the poets that we had to leave out. Um, You know, the idea that, look, we're just setting up a foundation now for the next anthology, for folks to kind of start setting up their own anthologies, you know. Um, I got a sense of um, Felicia's organizational kind of approach to how we're going to put this book together and, you know, kind of definitely checking me. I think there was some stuff in in, in the introduction uh, where the introduction was originally called Coffee with Legs. And it's about this experience I had in Chile where I went to um, this afternoon spot where... You know, one of the poets in Chile had to come to get me. He says, we're going to go have coffee with legs. And we went and it was essentially a coffee spot, but they had, it was 
in black light. And there were kind of women coming out serving you coffee and they were dressed in like, you know, bikinis and such, right? So I'm going through this narrative and introduction, which I still want to use at some point, but she was kind of, we had this discussion. We went back and forth about what it meant, um, what that introduction meant and how it might be contextualized um, in terms of gender roles. And that is something that when you start writing, you kind of have to be open to because it's just not your vision that you're working on. You're collaborating with other folks on it. So she was really good in that respect when it came to working on the introduction um, and where the book might be slacking. You know, for me, the thing that I that I remember about working with Willie is um, how how seriously he takes the craft of bookmaking. You know what I mean? Like we had an original manuscript and we had an order that we felt good about. And then Willie went back and read it and he was like, we can't we can't publish this the way it is now because the poems at the front end of the book are just not they don't hit you the way that we need to kind of like grab people in. Um, and so that set off like a, you know, a movement towards kind of revising the order and trying to be even more thoughtful about how we set up the book for success. And I really appreciate those moments and I really love the way that the book is ordered now. Um, but you know, I was, I was okay with that original set. And so that, that kind of made me go back and reflect and, and kind of like be like, all right, everything we do, we have to make sure that it is you know, done a hundred percent. And we can't just, if you're tired, like you still got to finish the, the work. You have to finish the job. Um, with Felicia, I think it's a lot about what Will was saying, right? Where like Felicia's the one that kind of helped organize us is the one that kind of made sure that we were thinking about bigger questions. Um, you know, was the one who was advocating for, uh, some of the writers, particularly out west, where like you know, Will is based in New York. I'm from Chicago. Like it would it would have been very easy for us to overlook some of the West Coast writers just because we're not as rooted in those communities, right? Uh, and I remember Felicia really advocating on behalf of some of those poets. And and you know, and when we took a second look, we ended up saying yes to a bunch of them. So um, for me, those are some of the things, right? It's like. Yeah, those are some of the things that I learned about working with them. You're listening to Jose Olivares and Willie Perdomo, whose new anthology is out in the world, Latinx, the fourth volume of the Breakbeat Poets on, on Haymarket Books. Fellas, uh, thank you so much for, for being uh, taking some time out of In Shelter and, and chopping it up with me. Now, of course, both of you have you know really rich... Uh, writing practices and careers. And I, I want to ask you a question about audience. Will, I've heard you say before that part of what you imagine your work to be is you standing uh, at the corner of 110th and Lex and looking out into uh, the, the intersection in Spanish Harlem and kind of telling the stories to and, and of that community. Jose, I know a lot of your work is not only about, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a um, you know, Latinx diaspora but but also about being uh chicano in chicago and i and i wonder how you guys think about audience and you know are you writing for a particular group are you writing for everybody you know when you when you when you begin to work on a collection when you begin to work on a poem 
who do you imagine the reader listener to be? Um, for me, you know, honestly, like I'm imagining those rooms at young Chicago authors, you know what I mean? Like I'm imagining those open mic spaces and I'm imagining like Brits and a and Nate and a lot of those folks. Um, and I, I do think a lot about audience when I'm writing in part because, you know, there's a bunch of times where I'll read a poem and I'll know just from reading the poem that the author never considered me as a potential reader. Does that make sense? Like uh, that the, the author does not give a fuck if I understand said simile or whatever. And so for me to be able to consider audience and to be able to write work that kind of prioritizes the experience of, you know, Latinx folks or people in Chicago, um, of people of color more broadly. For me, it's a way of kind of just, just making sure that I'm, that I'm, that I'm taking care of the people that, that have always taken care of me. That's real. Yeah, I've been thinking about this question a lot over the last five, six years, for sure. It's been, one as a teacher, right, who teaches personal narrative writing to students. And then um, on the opposite end, um, as a writer, there's a there's a book by uh, Walcott, Derek Walcott, called Another Life. He's about 2,300 lines into the book. It's basically a, a memoir in verse. And he's learning his craft on the island, but he's learning it from painters. And there's a line, and I forget the context in which it was written. I got to revisit it, but he says, I no longer care for whom I write. Now I'm thinking to myself, that must be liberating in that moment, right? Where you just kind of let go of that, right? Um, but if I had to look book by book, I'm definitely writing to my uncle in the essential history of Shorty Bone Bone, right? That's, I'm writing to him. Um, with the crazy bunch, I'm definitely writing for, you know, the brothers I grew up with in East Harlem on 123rd and Lex, on 122nd and Lexington, because one of them asked me, yo, when you when you're gonna write that book about the crew? And if you read the book, you know it's I'm I'm speaking to someone who was down with the crew. Um and of course, you know, there are some things I'm doing that some poets in the stairwell might pick up on. You know, um, so for me, it's always about who's asking me to remember right now. Mm-hmm. Who's saying maybe you should write about this? You know, um, you know when those ghosts come knocking, are you ready to open that door? Who's haunting you right now? That's part of it. You know, um, it could be that you want to just get out of some sub sub zone you in and start doing something differently with your work, where you don't really have an audience in mind, and suddenly. You know, that voice appears. And once that voice appears, you kind of have to follow it, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I think, you know, this is a question I've been thinking about a lot for the last few years in terms of who, who am I writing for? And I think it changes from book to book. Both you guys have really expansive notions about who is a poet and who a poem is for. Um, you know, I've learned a lot both by seeing y'all teach, by seeing y'all read, by seeing y'all read in public to a myriad of different kinds of audiences. And so I wonder now in this time, you know, for you, 
what, what is the function of the poem in, in this moment now? Or what is the function of poetry in this moment now? I, I get asked this question a lot and, and I have a variety of answers, but I, you know, I wonder where you all are at with the, the labor that we do and its purpose and kind of functionality in the world right now. No, no, no. I want to know what, what is your answer right now? What, what would you say to that question, Kev? I, well, I, I have a few answers. You know, one, I, I think that it is a way to do the work that Miss Brooks talked about, to distill life and also to uh, figure out what do we want to hold on to that is uh, triumphant and also ter- terrifying. Uh, you know, that it kind of gives us a way to tap into deep notes of the spectrum of the things that we're feeling right now in order to make sense of them, as opposed to just having it, you know, having kind of like this regurgitated, uh, you know, almost like throw up machine via the dominant sources of media that it allows us poetry allows us to uh, check in with ourselves in in a way that I think the world is frankly maybe asking us to because poetry, you know, like Miles would, would say is also about the notes of silence, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I, and I also think that the poem is short and our attention span is narrowing. And so the poem serves a function in its ability to also grab a reader, a listener in a moment and make them feel something that they weren't necessarily prior. But, that's what I think, and I know what the fuck I think. Um, <laughs> what, and y'all are smarter than me, so what? Like, what? What do y'all think? You know? I don't know. That was a pretty good answer off the top of your head. I mean, you know, it's light, it's light work. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's a Wednesday you've been, afternoon. You've been thinking about this for a while. Though. <laughs> yeah, I got all my shit preloaded. Yeah, You know, for me, I, I, what I was thinking about. The first thing that comes to mind for me is like, I I know what doesn't feel good right now. And those are uh, like this idea that that like poetry should be beautiful and should soothe us. Uh, And that doesn't like I I know that the poems that I'm reaching for are not that um, in part because I kind of feel just like shows of wealth kind of infuriate me at this point, like. Like shows of just like out of context beauty also kind of infuriate me and seem out of touch. Uh, And so for me, the thing that I've been reaching towards are, you know, some of the same things that that you're talking about. Right. Like, I think that, you know, you mentioned that you feel like our attention is getting narrower. I think that I love poems because they they kind of ask us to stop and stretch our attention. They ask us to reconsider, you know, something that we've seen a million different times, um, you know, to reconsider, like to reconsider the the kind of trite language that we hear all the time. You know, hope you're staying safe and how easy uh, that can be. Give me one second. Um, I'll let Will talk and then I'll come back. <laughs> nice. Well, Jose's taking a break. I like it. <laughs> um, it always comes back to the, the uh, um, that kind of graffiti approach to, to, to tagging up, right? So in a time like this, or even when you're not living in a time like this, the goal is always to write that line where you would be, you had to reach really far to erase it. 
So you have to place it in that where 20 years later you come back and it's still there. Right? So the role of the poem has to be that way. I'm moving more now into the role of, of the story. So if our attention spans are low, then I'm fucked up in the game right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you stories, but we shall see. I don't, you know, what's the, the role of that moment where it says, I was living in this moment and this is what I saw. Hmm. You know? Um, conversely, though, can you put pressure on the written word that way? Can you put pressure on a poem to do something that it can't? That's another question that poets have to ask themselves at a moment like this, you know? Um, but I think, again, it's important to, um, you know, write that line, write that poem where you'd be hard-pressed to forget it. Years down, that that's a poem that kind of held you down. That one line you kept repeating to yourself. Um, I've been messing with um, that McKay poem, uh, too green the April springing flowers, too, uh, too blue the silver speckled sky for me to linger here, alas. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like old uh, Harlem Renaissance poems, you know what I'm saying? About living in, you know, uh, in natural splendor and such, right? Just kind of exercising my mind that way. And that poem is kind of deep too because the speaker can't enjoy, you know, what is beautiful in nature to Jose's point because. The speaker's inside washing windows and scrubbing floors. Hmm. Wasting the golden hour indoors, washing windows and scrubbing floors. That's the truth right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's that goes away from the beauty part. So if I'm indoors right now, what am I seeing that I can't enjoy? You know? Hmm. So I think that's where I'm starting to think about what what role the writing takes place, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Jose, you had to step away. You got anything to? Uh... Yeah. I, so real quick, uh, I, I like set up a little schedule for myself. So I have like a alarms going off at different times of the day so that I can, you know, not spend all day just on Twitter or whatever. Um, so that, that was like my alarm telling me that it was time for dinner or whatever. Okay. It's fine. Um, well, thanks. thanks. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just think of. <laughs> What's that? I don't want to pull you away from food. Um. <laughs> Look, I love to eat. Um, I, I got to teach after this, so I'm actually, you know, I'm going I'm to hold off on eating for a minute. Um, I, I think about, uh, there's a Martin Espada essay that I wrote years and years ago on his website that he's since taken down. Um, but he was saying that, like, the phrase weapons of mass destruction is a type of poetry, right? It's like a poetry that is used to harm people as opposed to poetry that is used to kind of stir something in us uh, that might help us get closer towards liberation or peace or whatever. Um, and, you know, and so I've been on the lookout for those pieces of language now and like you know when donald trump was running around calling the coronavirus the chinese virus right like that's an example of distorting language to try to make us uh to try and like convince us of a different enemy um and so i'm really into right now this idea that that poetry might help clarify for us uh, what's real and what's not, right? To go back to Willie's poem about like what it means to see, you know, the the beauty outdoors when you're indoors, 
washing windows and washing floors. You know what I mean? Like, uh, so I, you know, to me, like poems can do that. They can grab you and they can ask you like not to let the bullshit fly, right? To, uh, to reconsider to, and, and then I also, you know, and this has been true for a while. Like I've really been into, you know, Afrofuturist poems and to the task of imagining what a future might look like for us. Um, and so those, those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. I don't know though. Like I said, I haven't been writing a whole lot. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean and to be clear, that poem that, that those were those those lines were like the first six lines of a poem by uh, Claude McKay that he wrote while he was in New Hampshire, I think. Mm. You know? Um so yeah, man, thinking about that, thinking about you, you know, uh, the confined space mm. and how does one write out of that confined space, you know? Both, both of you guys, and I, I got one more question for y'all. And, and both of you guys have some of my favorite poems and f- some of my favorite poems to teach. And I, I use both of y'all's work in the classroom a lot. And I think what par- partly what resonates for me and, and I might say partly what resonates for my students is that you guys dig deep into your own experience and there's a, sp- a real specificity to that experience. But that specificity seems to translate well into the lives of other people who are dissimilar from you. And so I'm wondering in terms of style, in terms of subject matter, you know, for me, well, style is certainly, aesthetics certainly, you know, you guys partake in a kind of realism that for me has everything to do with why hip hop poetics is and breakbeat poetics is so central in in the world and the practice right now and and jose very much seems to be a kind of uh chicago literary tradition as well um this kind of like working class realism or working class portraiture and so i wonder how you guys think about style um and 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 that's some of your poems many of your poems feel so intimate but yet convey such a broad and universal meaning Was that a question or just a comment, by the way? <laughs> I think that might have been a comment. Yeah, all right. I just wanted to um, give you, yeah. You know, I, I appreciate that. For me, for me, style is everything. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I find myself, uh, Naomi Shihab Nye has this phrase, you know, in a poem of hers, she says, I'm not interested in the facts. I'm interested in the trails of smoke from the facts, right? And I think that rings really true for me. That's what I'm interested in is, is you know, what, what style you can make of it. Because I, I, think, I think style allows us to see uh, and shows off, you know, all the ways that you can see. Uh, I don't want to take up all the time. But for me, I, I think style is of utmost importance. Um, so thank you. I, I really do try to, I try to, to make that a priority in my writing. Yeah, I come from the wild style generation, right? So like, you know, I was a kid when all that was starting up and it was important to have your own style when it came to dress, when it came to graffiti, when it came to dancing. The crazy bunch, you already know, that's Willie's book. Oh yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's one thing. Absolutely. The other part is the level of specificity. So I'm teaching this class called uh, Beach Rhymes and Narrative here at Exeter, right? And it's a spring elective. And I use a, a section from uh, Jelani Cobbs to the Break of Dawn. 
and he calls it Asphalt Chronicles. And he says to the effect that basically, look, these stories that Biggie tells about when he's saying somebody got to die, they sound so real because of the specifics of what's inside the song. But we don't really know if Biggie actually went through that apartment and picked up that gun and saw that little girl at the end when he was on because it reads like a movie. Right. Or, you know, I'm thinking about the my favorite Biggie song is the joint about the New York Knicks player where he's right. like at the New York Knicks player's girl's house. Right. Right. And, and it's so specific that it feels real. Right. And then the other part of that tradition is the autobiographical tradition in our writing. From all the way from say you know Frederick Douglass's narrative to say Perry Thomas's Don These Mean Streets, there has to be that 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 instance where you couldn't write, um, even if you told the story, who was going to publish it? Right, where your story might have been devalued. So that tradition was kind of big, I think, coming up. And to this day, I'm still writing that where I'm from poem, I think, in many ways, right? Like, I'm still writing that poem. But it's three books later and shit, and I'm still writing that where I'm from poem, right? But, but Will, you were saying, I, you cut off actually in a pretty good spot, um, you know, because you were talking about, about writing, you know, kind of that one poem through through several books in a lot of ways. And I think that's probably true for a lot of us you know that I, i've heard a few writers say like you kind of have you know you're kind of chasing like one if you're lucky two three like big ideas throughout your career you know and trying to just get at it again and again from multiple angles and um you know i i appreciate that fellas i i i want to i want to let folks know where they could be in tune with with y'all um i know that the book is available online and, and i encourage people to get it from the publisher or an independent bookstore uh latinx the fourth volume of the breakbeat poets but where could people stay in tune with y'all and what you guys are doing on the world on, on a regular basis um you can find me at joseolivares.com underscore jose olivares on twitter and instagram uh yeah that's where you can find me uh, at Willie Perdomo on Instagram, at Willie Perdomo on Twitter, and uh, Willie Perdomo on uh, Facebook as well. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Fellas, uh, I, I got a lo- lot of love for both y'all, a lot of respect for both y'all. Um, I, uh, I'm excited that this book is out in the world, you know, and, and thank you for sharing some time and being in the corner store today. I appreciate y'all. Right on. Yeah, thank you for having us, Kev. Thanks, Kev. Shout out our super producer, DJ Cashera. Big up boss man, Todd Manley. Thank you to our official corner store photog, Mercedes Zapata. Salutes to the snack door, Max. Also, please, y'all, follow our Instagram. It's corner underscore pod on IG, on Twitter. Tell us who you want to see in the corner store. And also, please consider dropping a couple of dollars into our Patreon account. It's patreon.com corner store underscore pod. The corner store is brought to you by Stolen Spirits.